And didn't you love Anthony? Yeah. And his wife. Stand up here. I wanted you guys just to, while we're taking, stand here. Let's just reach your hands towards him and bless him in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for, for the Skinner family. You can come up here. And we want to bless them and uh, officially adopt them. <laughs> we put the hook in them. You can come back. We want you to come back. Yeah, because we love them. We can, they're, they're like us, or we're like them, however all that works. <laughs> but we want to bless them, and, and thank you for uh, this ministry he did this morning. Thank you for their lives, Lord. I pray you'd bless them. I pray uh, you would increase, Lord. You said you would do above and beyond what we're asking or thinking according to the power that works in us. And, Lord, we call on that power that's in them to do above and beyond their dreams and their visions, their cause, it would just grow and get expand and, and all the grace to do it and all the ease of it to do it. It would just be a flow, Lord. And we curse the devourer over them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Bless you, man. So he's, we want him to come back. He's a great guy. Amen. Uh, and his wife's great, too, obviously. She, actually, she, it, she's probably the greatest one because most women are, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, this that offerings for Robin. We, Robin wants to come out here. Uh, also got Dan Duke here. Dan Duke, stand up. Dan Duke is the man. Yeah. I'm serious. This guy, he's ahead spiritually. When I look at him, he's one of these guys like that guy's way ahead of me, man. He's got he's down the road away. So he's a real spiritual father, real powerful guy. Has really has been instrumental in, in Brazil for years for the revival down there and the move of God in Brazil and the Lord sent him back here for the revival that God's going to bring in, in the United States. Yeah. So, you know, we got some relationships going with old Dan, you know. We're happy about it. But I love him and, you know, he may would pray for you. I don't know. I'm not putting anything on him, but if I was you, I would get that guy to pray for me. <laughs> Something happens when he prays for you. He's got something going on. It really does. I mean, I'm serious. But Robin, most of you guys know Robin. Robin is like a, you know, you have a few friends in your life. You, don't, you know, real friends, long term. That's, he's one of my few friends. I don't have many. <laughs> but I got a few really good ones. Robin is a really good friend. His family, uh, John Mark McMillan. Most of y'all know about John Mark. He's a great worship leader also. Also happens to be Robin's son. Probably he probably had something to do with that. Yeah, he was his daddy. He did something good, didn't he? We love uh, love Robin. We love Donald. We love all his family, and we're just so glad he came here. And he's got a really great word. I don't know exactly what he's going to share, but it's going to be the Lord. And there's going to be a download. There's going to be an impartation that you can, if you'll just get in the position of receiving. Uh, I always say, you know, you, the Lord's given us a great mind to use, but really, let's let's receive from the heart and let your mind catch up. Amen. So, Robin, let's just come on up here and let's just bless Robin and thank you, Lord, for Robin. Yeah. He's got a church called Queen City Church in Charlotte. It's downtown Charlotte. It meets at the Visualite uh, Theater. Uh, and it just so happens that Anthony Skinner is going to be at his church tonight. So, and at 6.30. So, if you want to uh, check out, you can look at the, is it thequeencitychurch.org? Thequeencitychurch.com is their website if you're interested to come tonight or whenever. I would, you know, go there and visit sometimes. It's a very good church, you know, new church, been going for one year and one week 
Amen. So here's Robin. Thank you. In closing, <laughs> this is old preacher tricks, you know, you just use them everywhere you go. And until people quit laughing, that's when you stop using them. So I'll use that again later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, never, never. You, let me just explain this to you if you don't understand it. Whenever a preacher says, um, we're going to hurry up and do something, that means he's got a lot more to say. He's just trying to keep you thinking it's going to end in a hurry. So, so to give you a renewed hope. I don't know who it was. Albert Einstein or Mark Twain or Mickey Mantle, one of them said, uh, there's no bad short message, so... This one might be bad. <laughs> In closing, <laughs> see that thing still works. I just used it a minute ago. Were you awake? <laughs> Let me. Fourth uh, of July is coming up, and I ran across this little anecdote. If you don't know what an anecdote is, it's what I'm about to tell you. Fourth of July fireworks displays are, for the most part, safe. But that didn't stop the technicians at the last bash I went to from displaying this warning on the back of their bright orange shirts. And this was the warning. If you see us running, try and keep up. <laughs> I've been in a meeting like that before. You think I'm joking. I'm serious. I got so scared. I was leading the meeting. I got so scared. I told the pastor, I said, well, I'll see you later. He said, what? I said, I'm going home. See, because church ought to be the place you're scared to go to and scared to miss. Does that make sense? Some might, some of you maybe. I don't know, but... Uh, I just have a different opinion about something. A friend of mine said last week, he said, you know, you think about backwards of anybody I know. And I said, yeah, and I'm happier than most of those people too, aren't I? <laughs> so pay attention. Uh, we need to pay attention that God sent Dan Duke to America. Um, the last great... No, they're not the last. The next great awakening's already started. It's just in its infancy. It's barely discernible. Because, you know, Toronto and Brownsville and Lakeland, Lakeland. Actually, Lakeland, Lakeland. Toronto. Brownsville. Uh, that's not revival. That's just pockets of stuff happening. And... Uh, I have prophetic words from the 80s about this area, something so widespread happening, nobody will be able to claim ownership or control. But I'm going to tell you this too, revival's not enough. If you don't build substantial relationships, it will diminish instead of increase what you're doing. And so you have to keep all that in perspective, but... Uh, 
I'm a revival kind of guy. I love it when the Lord just jumps people and does stuff to them. And the more unsuspecting, in my opinion, the better. I just, you know, to not know what you're getting into and have the Lord move on you and you discover you're not just being a, a holy roller from the, I'm a holy roller, but you know, I've rolled, I'm holy. Um, but, but to have God touch you in a way that you didn't know he did or would, and you come out of it going, my, that was nice. That's awesome. Um, I grew up Presbyterian, and nothing much happened like what we're... One little shout in the Presbyterian church, they had to call the police. <laughs> the one I was in. But anyway, let me say this, and then I'll close. Um... At a given point today, I'm going to talk about five um, areas of impartation. And uh, I don't know how this is going to work. But if you hear something you need as a promise, you just need to take it. And if you, can't, if you don't know how to take it, you can at least say, I take it. Because most people have no, no concept of their innate natural authority, never mind their spiritual authority. You know, Mahatma Gandhi ran the British out of India because he understood he was a, British, he was a citizen of India and they weren't. He just said, hey, you guys leave or I'm not going to eat. And they left. Why? He was an Indian. They were British. It wasn't their nation. It was his. He was born there. And you can find some of this in John 3. I can't get into it. But you have authority to say that's who you are. That's what you do. Man, you give somebody a revelation of their authority and an anointing. They're, they're going, you know, brother got healed. He said, I was crying. She was crying. They were crying. I said, the devil was crying too. But if you hear something you need, you can at least, if you don't know how to receive it spiritually, the way you start is you say, that's mine, I take it. The kingdom of heaven is at? Where's your hand? Is it an invisible kingdom? Sure it is. So stick your hand in the invisible and take what's yours. I sort of believe in name and claim it, if you get right down to it. I know everybody gives that a bad rap and it's been misused. Everything, everything that's been misused was misused because it had something good to it. It wasn't misused because there was nothing to it. And, and why would God not want us to lay hold of by faith what he died for? Now, shame, shame. Anthony saying, saying about shame, I've had times where I felt ashamed. And in my mind, it was because I deserved it. And I've had the Lord say to me, you need to stop. Because I bore your shame for you. You don't have a legitimate spiritual right to it. I hadn't even started preaching yet. <laughs> My. <laughs> I'm already in trouble. Genesis chapter 45. Why don't you go there? Now, let me also say this. No one in this room is in the, 
in under, is under any obligation to like me, appreciate me, approve me. And I'll tell you why. I don't care. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why I don't care. It's not your job. Listen, if, if I can't earn an amen, I don't want it. Yeah. And see, uh, I've learned some stuff. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is don't feel obligated today. If you're not hungry, don't eat. If you're not thirsty, don't drink. If you're skeptical, okay, hey, I'm all right. But see, if you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you're encouraged, receive. But, but I don't believe in intimidating and threatening people into it. I believe in gracing them into it or leading them into it. I want to be like a Holy Ghost master chef or wine steward. I want them to just come in not thirsty, not hungry, and leave hungry and satisfied. Excuse me. Okay, Genesis 45, verse 26. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But, somebody say, but with me. But with me. Oh, no, but. Cussing in church. However, when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, now for carts, just say wagons. When he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father. Let's read verse 27 together. However, when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent him, I'm sorry, saw the Wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father. When you look at Bible types and shadows, which is a vital part of understanding the Scripture, um, and by type and shadow I mean uh, things in the Bible mean exactly what they say, and then they have oftentimes other deeper implications and the implications should never invalidate the obvious understanding but they should as, as long as they encourage etc etc they're, they're very valid but when you look at biblical symbols and types for instance in a dream in a vision or in an allegory like some of the uh, great writers C.S. Lewis and um Whoever else is great that did that. Uh, <laughs> for instance, when you see a lion from a biblical standpoint, what does that lion represent? I'm, I'm getting two answers. I'm getting Jesus and I'm getting the devil. 
and both answers are right. And then a serpent. Jesus or the devil? Serpent on the staff, Jesus. Serpent in the garden, the devil. Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. Going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, yeah. So throw that scripture back up there, please. And so most people, and understandably so, conclude that Egypt, what would Egypt be a type of? The world. Guess what else is a type of? Heaven. Heaven. Say heaven. Heaven. Say anti-disestablishmentarianism. No. I, now, see, my wife, my wife hates it when I say say, and I don't like people doing it to me, and I do it all the time, and that's life right there. You have it. That sums up all of life. We hate what, you know. Anyway, heaven. Now, the reason I say that is Joseph is one of the clearest types in all the Bible of Jesus. Um, for instance, the one whom his father and his brothers thought was dead was not only alive, he was Lord of all Egypt. Yeah. And so when you look at Joseph, you can begin to... You can begin... Oh, you can begin to get some of Jesus himself's personal perspectives on things. That's the wonder of the scripture. Matter of fact, Jesus told the disciples on the Emmaus Road, all of it's about me, about Jesus, not about Robin, about me, all of it. And he preached himself from every book of the Bible, the Old Testament to the disciples. And so Joseph, in part, not in total, because every biblical part or every biblical type fails at some point. I mean, lion, which one is it? Well, here it's Jesus, there's the devil. So it fails at some point. But there are parts of Joseph's life that can speak to you exactly how Jesus feels about you. In plain language. And, and I want us to see that today. Because I am convinced maturity is not how much you love God. You can bag that. Maturity is knowing how much God loves you. And you've been taught that's immaturity and you've been taught yada yada. But let me say this. The disciple that bragged on how much he loved Jesus as a mature adult, denied him with oaths and curses. And the teenage disciple who majored on how much Jesus loved him was at the cross and got responsibility for the Lord's mother after he was dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. And see, you will not mistreat people when you know how much God loves you. You will not sell your soul to illicit things when you begin to understand how much God loves you, what he sees in you, what you were born for, you will refuse to live beneath your calling. 
And it's not a thing about legalism, what you should or shouldn't do. That stuff does not work. But when you have a vision for the love of God for your life, and you begin to understand who he has called you to be, and you, begin, you will begin to live up to your destiny. You will begin to rise above the mundane religious nonsense concepts and live a life worth emulating. That's a whole lot better than don't commit adultery. Jesus said some amazing things, and it really messes me up. He said, when you look on a woman to lust, you have already, you committed adultery already. You did it in advance. Men, how's that? Yeah. That's, that's good old ruthless Jesus leveling the playing field. How are you going to live under legalism when that's the standard? Or if you want something that's not yours, you're already a thief. Oh, I've obeyed the law all my life. You are a delusional person. Make Okay, that's not it. Next. All right. 13 of the 50 chapters of the book of Genesis is devoted to the life of Joseph. It's incredible. My, my, my. Genesis 42, let me, let me, let me throw this little nugget out there. At one point, Joseph told his brothers, he, he, didn't, he didn't go back to Jacob's house. He sent his brothers back. And he said, tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. Egypt there represents heaven. Somebody's got to get in the heavens who can come back. And I'm believing the second coming. I'm, I'm not talking about that. That's a, to me, that's an unadulterated, absolute, second bodily coming back of Jesus Christ. I believe that. But what I'm saying is by type, someone has got to get in the heavens, see what's there at such a dimension or level that they can bring it back. All the glories, come on. If you hear something you want today, this is Buffet Central. Have you some? You cannot overeat this morning. You know, the shortest verse in the Bible, I understand, is... Jesus wept. You remember? Having to do with the story of Lazarus. And, you know, here's a good question. Why? Some people say, well, he wept because of their unbelief. I just don't think so. I think he wept because Lazarus was his friend. His uh, two sisters were heartbroken. What did they say to Jesus? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I read a a commentary that's not acknowledged as a really good one, but nevertheless, you know, when I got married, never mind. Um, I, I've got so many trails, I'm trying just to hone in on the real deal. <laughs> they said people, um, 
it was commonly known people felt safe around Jesus. They felt safe. And I think that this indicated there when Mary Martha said, or it was probably, might have been Martha, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think Jesus was heartbroken. They suffered. They were in confusion. I just, I just think broke his heart. And I think his obedience was hard. He waited until he was dead, good and dead. As the Bible tells us, smelling bad, dead. I read this the other day. I'm just going to preach whatever. I don't care. I'm tired of doing this right. I read in the paper the other day. It said, uh, you know, that soldier died in Gastonia and this nut job church out of Missouri somewhere since the soldier in their concept deserved to die because of homosexuality in America, yada, yada, yada. They protest funerals of soldiers. And... uh, so one guy, and, and they do it because it's their first amendment, first amendment right. And we should rejoice in the First Amendment. We get to do what we do. Well, other people get to. We don't have to like it, but we need to respect not what they're saying, but the fact that they can, because it's the same reason we can, I can say what I'm saying this morning without getting thrown in jail. But, so one guy says, well, that was offended for the family, he, he put up posters in his pawn shop, and his poster said, we honor the fact that you are doing what you're doing based on the First Amendment, but we also practice the right to bear arms, and we will, <laughs> meaning we're going to shoot you if you show up, I guess. I don't know how you can. And so I'm, I'm going to offend everybody if I have my way this morning. I am. I mean... Byron likes me. That's the only reason I get to come. (laughs) Then I saw in the paper the column in the Observer called The Buzz where they put random anonymous comments. And one random anonymous comment said, what funeral would Jesus disturb? And I thought, all of them. (laughs) Now, they didn't mean that at all. But see, they had their own religious nonsense that was polar opposite to the other religious nonsense when I'm the only guy in the room, right? (laughs) Based on the Bible, you know, Jesus disrupted every funeral he went to. He stumbled across one and raised the boy from the dead. He he messed up his own. Now, here's where I should be condemned, along with everybody else I'm condemning, if you're just going to get down to it. I haven't raised anybody from the dead either, but that's the point. If we live like Jesus, we disrupt funerals. Now, that's terrible. I've been to funerals, and I've been under the pressure to raise these people from the dead, and I'm thinking, good Lord, let them go. They're better off. (laughs) Nevertheless, that's not what Jesus thought. He, He raised Lazarus from the dead so he could die another time. Yeah. Now... Genesis 42, 24, I really want you to hear this. Jesus' heart for you. Now, this is the way Joseph treated his brothers that sold him into slavery and thought he was dead. They lived with a 22-year dysfunction in their family. 
every brother knew he was alive. They all lied, or, or, or what had happened. I don't know if they knew he was alive. And their dad thought for 22 years, Jacob thought for 22 years, his favorite son was dead. And that's, I, I'm just throwing this out. That's a little bit of a picture of, of some church concepts. I mean, we're talking about resurrection. We say we know the resurrection and the life. But I'm going to tell you, part of our minds, like it or not, it's what I believe, it's my job, part of our own minds have been darkened and alienated from the life of God, meaning we will have problems less than resurrection from the dead level problems and act like he's dead. Where are they? Honestly, I mean, I'm in that crowd too. Listen, preachers preach the messages they need to hear. But, but Joseph began to respond this way to the people that hated him, were jealous of him, sold him into bondage. And the Bible tells us in one place they did it when he begged with tears and anguish. It wasn't, oh, well, this is God's plan for my life. Sell me to the Ishmaelites. Put me in jail. Get me falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. I haven't been accused of adultery in my whole life. It would be awesome. Yeah. Put me in a culture where you have to shave every hair off your head and wear a snake on your noggin. <laughs> Name your kids weird stuff that only uses about half the alphabet but uses a bunch of those letters all over again. <laughs> Read those. It's the guy's kid's name. <laughs> Joseph hears his brothers and... It says he knew who they were. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. And here's a marvelous scripture. I don't know where it is, but it says when he saw his brothers, he remembered his dreams. I thought somebody would grab that. Yeah. Your dead dreams, devil stole from you. The only way he stole them from you, he didn't steal them from you. He just told you he did. So you're trying to get back what still lives inside of you. 24. He, Joseph turned himself away from them and wept. His heart broke in compassion for those brothers before there was any reconciliation. Something inside of him broke. All right, 43, verse 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother. This was the one he'd never met. So Joseph made haste, sought somewhere to weep, went into his chamber, and wept there. He may feel that way towards people that aren't saved yet, that he hasn't met. I mean, that's, that's how he would feel maybe to, to, total strangers, that he knows should be family. Turn to, um, okay, Genesis 45. Let, let me say something about verse 30. It says he yearned. He yearned. Let me give you a, a definition of yearning. The feeling you had when that girlfriend or that boyfriend that you had given your heart to or that wife or that husband left you. 
and you yearned. That's the way he feels about you. That's the heart of God for people. Not nice people. Lying, scheming, cheating people. Now this whole, you know, some people teach about the love of God that God loves you for Jesus' sake and it's sort of a secondhand love. And that's a lie. That's not true. He loves you. He yearns for you. Not the perfected, eternal, God sees you, yada, yada, you. No. The dumb, stupid, sloppy, wrong, can't get it right, don't like yourself, too fat, too skinny, too bald, too old, whatever, you. That's how you get out of you. Yearned. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out from me. Verse 2. And he brought his brothers in. In verse 2, he wept aloud. Verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, Please, somebody say please, please come near. Please, Jesus, Lord of all, please come near. It's powerful. Verse 5. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You see, when we know the Lord, we'll have that same attitude towards other people. Don't be angry with me for what you did to me. Because we're all guilty of doing somebody wrong. We, we major on what they did to us. You never get free that way. And they didn't know what they were doing. That's how you get free. Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing. They didn't know what they're doing. Next. You personalize it. You have bitterness. It's pretty simple. I'm deep, but I'm simple. It's like four straight walls, 10 foot deep. There's nothing in there but just depth. Boom! You hit the bottom. There I am. No, it's simple. Don't take it personally. Yeah, but they, that's what you think. But Jesus said they didn't know. Side with Jesus, get free. Side against Jesus, stay like you are. It's up to you. It's your choice. I know this is ruthless, but um, some things just are. Verse 5, okay. Verse 8. Great concept here. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Man, that, that'll work you over. In verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be where? Near me. Who? You, your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. He wants to take care of everything about you. Everything. 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 I read a very prominent writer recently say, God didn't do miracles. He, he did miracles because of the great need of people. He actually said God didn't do miracles to build up people's faith. The only trouble is, John wrote just a few of the major miracles, and he said, Jesus turned water into wine to manifest his glory. What does that mean? Show people what he could do. What was the result? His disciples believed in him. 
water into wine. Yeah, there was a great need. They needed 120 gallons of wine at a wedding where everybody already well drunk. And the Bible really doesn't say well drunk. It really literally says where everybody was drunk. That's exactly what it says. Now, if it means what we think it means, I don't know. That's just what it says. It might mean drunk just as the past tense of having drank something. I don't know, but uh, I've been to weddings before. And I don't believe in getting drunk, so I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but what I'm saying is they didn't need that wine. It wasn't need. See, how, how needy does a person need to be? Lost a finger, lost an arm, lost a leg, lost a knee, lost his shoulder. He's got like nothing but a stump. Well, is that needy enough yet for the miracle? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That's crazy thinking. They didn't need it. No, it's not about need. It's about what, listen, what do you want? Oh, that's dangerous. Well, it's not dangerous. It's biblical. Whatsoever you Desire, when you pray, now, do you need to consume it upon your own lust? No. You need to want stuff to help people. Goshen, remember that. We'll come back to it in a minute. Okay, I have made that point. Let me make the last one. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. That's the last one in this particular series. I'm, yeah. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, something they concocted, they made this up. Before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of their servants, of the God of your father and... What did Joseph do? He started crying. They didn't have to make anything up. He already loved them. He'd been loving them. How many people have suspicions about God's heart? And they're legitimate in some ways. You've looked at your life that hasn't worked. You've looked at unfulfilled promises. And you've, but you made the wrong, the wrong conclusion. See, Joseph, it, it killed Joseph to think his brothers did not know they were truly, truly forgiven. It killed him. He, went, he cried again. He cried eight times. He did more crying than almost anything. And it wasn't because his feelings were hurt. It was because he so wanted them to know how he felt about them. I mean, it's powerful. And Jesus, you know, Jesus is Joseph on steroids. I mean, that's a type. That's pointing to. He, he doesn't approach the true, not true, he doesn't approach the fullness of the manifestation of God's love for you. 